Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome the leaders of the ABS Kids Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, Sierra King and Kelly Johnson Martinez, to talk with us about the development and subsequent value of a diversity statement. This diversity statement represents a clinical, administrative, and executive team that's dedicated to working together to build a better culture, in this case, in the field of ABA, as they continue to provide quality care to kiddos on the spectrum and their families. Sierra is an ABA Therapy Center assistant and registered behavior technician based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Kelly is a board certified behavior analyst based out of Temecula, California. We're so fortunate to have passionate team members leading us in such important initiatives. Sierra and Kelly, I'm so excited to talk with you about diversity, equity, inclusion, and how it affects ABA and treatment as well. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Hi, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I love getting into a little bit deeper of who we are talking to. And it's, and it's not just your title. It's not just who you are and your job. But tell me a little bit about how you got involved with with autism. I mean, it's a big part of your life right now. It takes up uh, probably a lot of your thinking hours. Um, and I guess I'll start with Kelly is, you know, how did you get involved in ABI and how long have you been in the field and what drove you that direction? I think I think a lot of a lot of our stories are similar. We have um, we have those aha moments um, where where there's a kiddo that just kind of steals our heart. Um, and and we start down this path. Um, I graduated from undergrad in 03, uh, worked in the autism lab at UCSD. Um, and there were there were a couple of kids that that um, that just stole my heart. And, and that was it. Um, I've been doing this ever since. Um, it's been a long journey to to a BCBA. Um, but it's it's been it's been very worthwhile. It's been so rewarding. It's had its challenges. It's it's had its roller coaster days, minutes. Um, but it's it's been it's been so fulfilling. Um, and I and I it's so important that that ABA is kind of recognized. Yes, we do great work with with kiddos on the spectrum, um, but we can also extend into this kind of um, the diversity, equity, inclusion, and ABA is is capable of so, so much. That's really interesting how how you can kind of take a look at a field that maybe has specialized for us with with autism, but then pull those skills out and say, okay, so how does this apply to really understanding the world around you? And I hope to be able to go a little bit deeper into that. But before we do, Sierra, I, I want to hear your story as well. As and I mean, you're you're on different coasts. You guys are at different parts of your journey right now. And yes. I'd love to hear kind of what brought you into the field of autism and and what kind of drives you now. Um, I got into the field of autism. I graduated undergrad in 2018. So fresh out of college, um, I actually didn't know much about this field. 
And I started working at a smaller company in Virginia. And then when I migrated down to North Carolina, Charlotte, um, I ended up working at AVS. And I think here, um, when I was in Virginia, I was like in an in-home setting. So it was a lot different. And however, lately I've been able to work in a clinic setting. And I think I just really enjoy watching people collaborate to be able to make these different programs and everything that has just been my focus for the past year and a half. So it's been really fun. Um, I thoroughly enjoy what I do. So that has been nice. <laughs> and, and that collaboration piece, I think that that is kind of at the heart of what we're talking about today. It's, you know, how do you, how do you collaborate effectively? And part of that is really being open-minded and understanding that all people are bringing different perspective every single person you talk to engage with is going to be able to enhance every bit of the life around you but also with treatment and i guess i'm going to start with sierra just because you've you've just you're a little bit newer to the field it's been three years but i mean it's easier to reflect back on those three years but um when you originally started and if you were to take what you've learned now and gone through the process what is it that you'd say as a clinician that the field was missing initially as far as not understanding culture around them and how they're in, incorporating that into treatment or not understanding that, you know, we maybe three years ago thought that we were services, servicing the entire population, but inherently we weren't and we weren't doing a good enough job to service individuals individually. Um, what is it that that kind of hit you that drove you to say you know what i really want to work on getting more of the diversity and equity and inclusion into the workforce that's delivering this care um i think the biggest thing that i've noticed is i kind of looked around and i didn't see a bunch of bcbas that looked like me um so that was a huge starting point for me where i was just like oh okay like this is a field that one I didn't know existed, you know, upon graduation from college. And um, we had talked about it, but it was just very, like, minuscule in that environment. So they didn't go in depth. And this being my first job that I got out of college, I thoroughly, I've always enjoyed working with kids. And so working with kiddos that are on the spectrum, one thing that I learned is, you know, there's kids from every nationality, every, you know, place, culture, and everything that we work with. Um, and it was very interesting and exciting to see. And then also when I kind of flipped the script, I was like, oh, well, are they working with, you know, people that of that diverse background as well? You know what I mean? Um, I actually worked with a family that had a kiddo that had Down syndrome and was on the spectrum and their family was Filipino and going into their home and just kind of seeing how those different things worked and how the culture it also impacted um, the learning abilities and, you know, how they take information in and like what they do in their families as well. So I saw that as a big point of being important in the field of ABA, just because I think it's important for people to be able to relate, you know what I mean? So with all of that said, that was my biggest driving point for me, um, was just seeing how many people we work with and then also seeing how our field kind of lacks, you know, that diversity as well, just in a general sense. 
Uh, yeah, that's so insightful. It's, um, I think it must have been, uh, I'm trying to think when when my eyes were truly open to the fact that this was a bigger problem in the field, and it might have been, I was uh, talking with the CEO of the Global Autism Project. And at first I thought, you know, this is something globally that was a problem. We, we didn't understand how to incorporate care into parts of Central America, parts of Africa, parts of East Asia. And then as I got into further dialogue with her, and this uh, this is a guest that we've had in the past, her name is Molly Olapenny, um, we, it hit home to me saying, hold on, this is not a global problem. This is a everywhere. This isn't something outside of the borders of the US that, hey, this is happening. It's, you know, everywhere you look, it's, we need to be aware of the fact that there's multiple cultures. You better understand the culture or else you're not gonna treat the family appropriately. And how do you incorporate that? You have to have a diverse workforce that's bringing up these issues, talking about these issues, opening your eyes to these issues. So on that note, and, and Kelly, maybe you can give me kind of an idea because you've been working as a VCBA, a, a majority of your job is managing families, managing employees, and empowering them to be able to do the techniques that you're doing. And oftentimes in ABA, we got stuck into the techniques being this academic, this is how you do your job. How did you start to broaden that gap to say, listen, your job is beyond that. Your job as a behavior analyst, your job as an RBT is to understand the family first, understand the dynamics and understand what you don't know before you apply what you do know. Um, I, I think I have to thank my husband. Um, my husband is um, very, very involved in political activism. Um, he was undocumented for 20, 20 years before um, before I met him. And I think he's the one really who opened my eyes to um, to the challenges that so many people um, face um, living in the shadows for for sometimes lifetimes. Um, so so understanding where that comes from, my my blind eye to that um, for so many years prior to having met him um, just kind of opened opened my eyes to that. I mean, we've done our, our um, you know, the cultural humility trainings and, and that that um, that helps um, just um, one of the kind of recurring um, themes is just staying humble. Right. And 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 understanding that you you never have all the answers. I mean, throwing throwing ideas out. Hey, how how might this work? Um, so so there's that. I also um, I was fortunate to have a a breadth to my um, to my master's program, um, and we went into topics um, in within the program of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and and my professor Michelle Traub um, was incredible at bringing um, some amazing articles um, to to my knowledge um, and it just kind of it just kind of snowballs whenever I, I go to conferences I'm I'm seeing the you know I, I will certainly attend the the career like my current career focused um, talks but I'm always going to um, I always want to branch out I always want to see what what the amazing other people um, are are pursuing in this field as well, and how how big our our scope truly can be. 
And I think that I think that that's kind of it's it's a lofty sort of thing to be able to do because I think that we all have inherent biases at times, and in order to be able to get past that, we have to kind of say, okay, I do have to be humble. I do have to understand I don't know everything all the time and take that step back to say, teach me, tell me about things. So in that in that aspect, and, and Sierra, you hit on this, is that the field of ABA and the even in the, in the industry of ABA from the entry level all the way through executive level, is that you don't always have and oftentimes you look from organization to organization, you don't have a lot of diversity all the way through the steps of of the of the organization. Is that one of the goals of the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee at ABS Kids? And I mean, and what are some of the other goals? I mean, what is it that that was outlined in an ABA industry as you all walked through it? That was this is what we need to focus on. Um, so yes. That is a great question, and I like the point that you hit on about um, taking in the scope of ABA and looking at our company through and through from ground level to executive level, and that is that has been our biggest focus. Um, we were super excited to see some of our data, and it only reflected from the RBTs and the BCBAs. We're still working on gathering um, other data from the other sectors of our company, but we were happy to know that our data closer reflected that of the BACB's data as far as our RBTs and BCBAs go. Uh, we also noticed there was a bigger um, majority of women correct in the population of ABA than there is males. And also that's a, another factor that we've considered because, you know, a lot of the kids that we service are males. Um, we noticed that there was a smaller population of people of color, um, and that was from ranging from Black people to your Asian backgrounds to Hispanic backgrounds. Um, so we've been looking at that, and we've also, I think our biggest drive right now, or initiative that we are currently working on is gathering more of that data so that we can come up with a recruiting process that is um, focused on not having any of the biases or fading out those biases that, you know, sometimes, like you said, we inherently have and making sure that that doesn't impact the people that we are looking to hire because we want to be a diverse company and we want to be involved in every we want that to be involved in every way at our company so the administrative staff the onboarding staff the BA, the bcba is the psychologist that we have we want to make sure that that is folded into and embedded into so that um with the families that we're servicing and the um kiddos that we're servicing that they know that we then have their best interest and like we said earlier it's all about collaboration and when you put multiple minds together, you're able to come out with a better, better cause, you know? No, that's, a, I mean, that's, a, that's a perfect starting point, I think, is, you know, first is you got to have all the right people, all the right seats on the bus have to be filled. You have to have everybody there in order for the exchange of ideas to occur. Then it's creating the platform for that exchange to actually happen. Now, you had mentioned that the BACB has some specific standards. Um, I, I think I heard in your voice, and, and I think I'll probably throw this to Kelly as well, because Kelly, you've been aware of the BACB and their standards, but also the fact this is new for them. 
So accepting the standard of the BACB, I think, is probably the the base level. Like, you know, we should probably be pushing the industry and be a leader in this. Is that, I mean, are there inherent goals beyond just the organization, but that we're trying to be able to do industry-wide that you'd say, you know, there are things that we can do here. We might have a louder voice to be able to drive the industry if we do this correctly. Are there goals that you can think of that way, Kelly? Um, I, I think that recruitment um, and retention is a is a big as a big portion of that. I think that um, broader education of the community at large and and folding, uh, um, you know, inviting everybody into um, into the services that are available and providing them appropriately. Um, so so just making sure that both. Um, the recipients as well as the providers of services are are representative of of local populations. Um, you know, we're we're in different states, so so demographics are going to look different um, across those regions, and, and we appreciate that. Um, if we don't have a population to to pull from in terms of employment, then then it seems unreasonable to have those expectations. But ensuring that um, that we are that we are representative. Um, Across all levels, I think um, I think it's really important to consider that um, neurodiversity, right? We're working with a neurodiverse population, and I'm not sure how many of us um, identify as as neurodivergent. Um, so ensuring that we're 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 listening to the population that we're serving. Um, these are those have been some of the best talks that I've been to. Um, understanding where we've been to understand how to do better um is is it's it's been cool to be around the field for for nearly 20 years and to see the evolution of how we're doing what we're doing um i'm i'm eager to see what we what initiatives we can um, come up with what what things we can put into place to to help and just do better yeah, and you had mentioned the demographic issue of knowing who your who your patients are and making sure that you have the staff to be able to understand the culture of that patient and understand the intricacies of the way that they might have different perspectives than yourself on different issues. Um, ironically, I, I, I just through different committees and, and one of them being the Council of Autism Service Providers is that discussions have come up where not many organizations are even looking at that, which is scary at times. And I think that what you're saying is a way to push the field to say, listen, you're servicing 30% here, 40% here, 20% here, 10% here. You should at least aim minimally to be able to have people that could reflect that within your own workforce at different levels to say that I have the ability to be able to have those conversations to learn rather than to subject a treatment without understanding who you're giving it to. But um, I think that those are wonderful ideas. And the neuro neurodivergence part, um, just, to, just to kind of put you at ease there, is that there is a think tank that is starting to form on ABA treatment with the neurodivergent population guiding those talks. So that will be coming up here really shortly. I think that uh, beginning of February, there's there's some thought leaders in the industry that are a part of a roundtable that is being led by the autistic community. And it's going to be a really cool conversation just because there is some 
dialogue and miscommunication there that that needs to be put out on the table and understood from both perspectives in order for treatment to be effective or in order for treatment to grow over time you need to know where those gaps are in understanding so um now we've gone through this whole process and i'm gonna put uh, i'm gonna put sierra on the spot here so you worked really hard on building a diversity statement I'd love for you to share it. I, I think that any time where you work and, and you, you've dedicated a lot of hours, a lot of time, is that you want to be able to, to voice that and say, this is what, this is what I, my group, this is what we came up with. Um, so here's, here's the platform for it. I'd love to hear you know, what that statement is, but also what it, what it means to you have, to have gone through that process. And if you learned anything either about your your organization, your industry, or yourself trying to build this and hearing the views that were coming in while building that diversity statement? That's a loaded question, sorry. <laughs> that is a loaded question, and I'll read it here in a second. But um, the first thing I can say is we went through a lot of editing processes to get this mission statement to where it is currently. Um, and through that process, the biggest thing that I learned is that these conversations are uncomfortable um more so for you know people that are like that have never looked at diversity and the scope of what it actually is and what does it mean so it took us as a group it took us a long time we sat down we made lists we were like okay what does diversity equity and inclusion really mean um i want to say that when this group started we were just diversity and inclusion and throughout this process we realized that we are diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we went through what it means to be diverse, what it means to have equity in your company, and what it means to be inclusive. So those are the three things that definitely drove the points of our mission statement. Um, we, I want to say we came up with two official rough drafts before getting to this point here. Um, the initial rough drafts that we had were more, they were lengthy, you know, and we had a tough time trimming down um, our mission statement and also making sure that it reflects what we wanted, re that it reflects the truth. And so the biggest thing that we wanted our mission statement to be is we wanted it to be where ABS Kids is now as a company and what ABS Kids is striving to be as a company. So we wanted to reflect growth in our statement and making sure that we had room to grow as a company when we created it. Uh, it's got to be extremely tough to be able to simplify such a complex topic into a mission statement. And it's almost like you have to be broad enough to be able to hit all the points. But as soon as you start getting into the details, it's like, well, if I hit this detail, I got to hit all these details because they all have value. And that's why I think that making and sitting down and starting that dialogue is a first step. So I guess, Kelly, um, Sierra, Sierra forgot to read off the, the mission statements. So I'm going to put this on you, Kelly. But after, after you share that mission statement, what I'd love to know is, so you have the statement now. How do you operationalize something like that? How do you put it to practice? How do you hold people to say, listen, this is the first step. I want everybody moving this forward now. 
I think that putting it out there is is really important. I, I mean, Sierra and I have been at work on this for along with an amazing group of other people. Um, we've we've had basically two committees formed around this. Um, so huge, huge um, kudos to Ben Peterson and um, Savannah Sievertson and Mary Perez Ramirez. Um, Savannah, uh, Sierra, can you help me? Um, Hayat Kamal. Um, Shelby yeah, Lissette Coriano, Jason Silva, um, Shelby Long, who just passed her BCBA exam, so congratulations to her, and Katie Miller as well. Um, they were all a huge part in creating this, along with Natalie Roth, um, Dr. Natalie Roth. Um, uh, she helped us a lot as well, and so we were able to kind of work collaboratively and get this done as a team, yes. So, so the statement reads, at ABS Kids, we are empowered by the breadth of our differences. Our mission is to create a culture where all people thrive because of their diverse, because their diverse stories are heard and celebrated. We commit to an evolving understanding of diversity as we learn from one another. So, so that was trimmed from, from, from gosh, Sierra, what was it? Like, like it was a full paragraph um, of, of, kind of a whole like a whole bunch of ideas um that that are so important um i think sierra had said it just said it beautifully i i feel like i don't need to build on anything that you said it, it it's the where we are and where we're going right we we need to be as as our understanding evolves we need to evolve with it we need to be flexible we need to um I think that evolution is an active process. It's not something that we just kind of sit idly by and let it happen. Um, I think that it's something that that we can we can actively shape. So ensuring that 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 people are able to be. We, I think one of the phrases that we cut was authentic selves, right? And being able to celebrate um, celebrate each person for who they are, for, for who they're, for where they come from, from what their history is, from what their learning history is, um, and to be able to, to honor them um, as individuals, um, ensuring that, you know, that listening process um, is, is in place um, at all times, um, and just kind of touching, I mean, differences can be visible and invisible, invisible, making sure that we're, um, we're acknowledging um, both the things that, that we see and the things that we don't see um, and ensuring that people are feeling, you know, feeling represented. So that's a lot. <laughs> it is. And, and I, I think you both said that, I mean, and, and Sierra, I mean, you, you are very articulate on this, is that it's, it's a living and breathing sort of um, process, is that what we have to do is constantly be looking at this internally and saying, okay, where do we take this? Where do we move it? Where do we need to shift from our original ideas and continue to evolve? Um, and, and you said the first part is, you know, let's get some more data. Let's really understand this. But what are some other ways that, um, and I guess Sierra, maybe you can help me out here, that, that we should be starting this operational process? Is it taking some of these ideas that maybe were trimmed off the statement because the statement has to be something that encompasses everything, but maybe prioritizing some of those ideas and realizing that you do have to take some of these chunk by chunk to do them well, versus saying, I'm gonna take 20 things at the same time, in which case 
you're probably going to fail at 17 of them. And we want all 20 to have value. Is that, and it's, Sierra, I'll, I'll put the floor back to you, but I mean, is that kind of what you're thinking? Um, yes. So throughout this process, we wanted to make sure that we were representative of the populations that we serve and also the employees. So with all of that being said, I think the biggest conversation that kind of kicked us off as a committee was the idea of how do you determine holidays? Um, that was kind of the thought provoking question that everybody wanted to know is like, as a company, how do you determine which holidays to honor and celebrate and say, hey, you get PTO for this. And how do you determine which holidays do you not? And so with that being said, that is a question because people celebrate different things. You know, if you are of Muslim faith, what you're celebrating isn't going to be Christmas. You know what I mean? But we have PTO for Christmas and not for Ramadan or those different things. So with the floating holidays, we wanted to, that was our first um, thought was to do floating holidays or some things of that nature. Um, some of the other ideas that we have is, oh, I might draw a blank. <laughs> we've talked about maternity leave. We've mm -hmm. talked about recruitment. We've talked about, I mean, we've talked about so many things, like just so many issues. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 like you said, Jeff, it's so, so broad. And I think we mm -hmm. have kind of taken off those little bite-sized chunks to focus on at, at a time because because it, it is so big it is so so big to to try to um try to address diversity equity and inclusion but i think each bite gets you closer and i mean say it is holidays that you're working on when you bring in kind of the operational systems and everything like that is that you take a good idea and then you're like okay how in the world do i put this in play because now i have to have scheduling payroll, HR, everything, uh, parent coverage, things like that all taken into account. So yeah, it's it, every single step are doable. Every single step should be a priority, but each one takes focus to be able to accomplish through that. And I think that's the hard part with something that's so important is saying, all right, let's get everybody on board to realize that we need to move forward together and bring everybody there because if you drop one ball in this process it, it all kind of starts to crumble a little bit and it, it becomes a lot a lot less of something that has longevity a lot less of something that has meaning versus tackling everything with devotion to it so but um i agree um oh i'm sorry i just i thought of something while you were speaking um something more in the realm of professionalism um i have there was a time where we had a client and that what their family kind of represented was offensive to some of the employees where I work. And we had to figure out as a clinic, okay, like how do you adjust this manner? And I'm just going to speak candidly here. So pulling up, you know, you would see the Confederate flag and me being a black woman. Usually when I see that I'm going the opposite direction. Also, living in North Carolina, that is something that you see more often than not. And so when you're dealing with families like that, or and it wasn't just, you know, a small flag, we're, we're talking huge here. And so when you see it, whether the size matters or not, but um, when you see it, um, I know I went pale. I was just like, um, this is uncomfortable. I remember seeing it and I was like, 
Is nobody going to say something? Is there going to be an announcement made or anything of that nature? And I remember speaking to our upper management and having to tell them, like, you guys, um, although we are servicing this patient, it is imperative that you guys inform your staff of the matter and how closely you're watching it to show them that you support them and that, you know, if they feel uncomfortable or if anything happens where it makes them feel uncomfortable, there's an open door policy with no backlash. You know what I mean? So um, I can only imagine being a person of color and being on that patient's case and how uncomfortable it would feel to know that you're doing things of that nature. And, you know, your BCBA or your supervisor isn't saying anything to you about it. So we were able to handle that situation delicately. And I remember um, I just think about that in, in moments like that, how important it is to think and speak collaboratively as a company, because then you have to be able to build protocols around things like that. Like, do you say something or do you not say something? Was the initial struggle that our um, supervisors, they faced, they were like, okay, well, do we send out a memo or do we not? But, you know, if you're pulling up and you see that in your place of work, then you need to make sure that you're ensuring a safe environment. And that's part of what that is. So when we go into diversity, equity, and inclusion, like stories like that, that you hear of, you just need to make sure that as a company, we're addressing it. And I think that's also why that DEI should be in the room of every conversation that this company makes when it comes to making big decisions. Yeah, and you know what? I think that I mean, what you demonstrated through that process was having the courage and the trust to be able to do that. But I mean, it, it, that, that doesn't always happen. It's, you're not always gonna be in a position where you feel like, you know, I can go out there and share my voice, even though you should feel that way. And transparency should always be there and that you should have trust that, you know, this is part of the process of sharing my experience. Unfortunately, is that that hasn't always been the case across every walk of life and across every industry and across every organization. And so I think it's empowering people to start that conversation because I would imagine there's a lot of people out there that don't even realize that an RBT could be going to a house that is inherently showing an incredible amount of bias to the person who's going to help their child. And it's, it's kind of that that mismatch of really understanding what's happening to be able to get the right procedures in place. So I, I applaud the fact that you have that trust. But and maybe this is the bigger question. And Sierra, maybe you can answer this for me. How do you empower that same sort of trust so that everybody feels comfortable giving that same voice or sharing those same concerns so that they can be addressed globally and not as a one off? but can be addressed as a, all right, so we have a system built to start tackling these issues. Um, I think the biggest part, it's, it's two part, right? It's twofold. I think that as an individual, you just need to know that your voice matters and that you should speak up um, regardless of how uncomfortable you think others might feel hearing your voice. And there's always a way to speak up and to say something to make sure that your point is heard. Um, I think growing up, that's one of the things my mom taught me was, you know, sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Um, I learned that because I argued with my sisters 24-7. But um, in a general sense, that's that's on the part of the individual. But also when you're looking at systems, even when we're looking at this globally, it starts with leadership. 
You know, it starts with the people that are in the rooms that are making the decisions and they should be making people, they should be open-minded, right? Because that's what diversity, equity, and inclusion is about. Um, And when we say that we want to create a culture where all people thrive, that means that you're listening, right? And that means that you're able to say, hey, this protocol that we have here isn't really inclusive of everybody that's a part of this organization, or is it showing that we're a leader in ABA, or is it showing that we're a leader at all? You know what I mean? Um, The world that we are in right now is driven by business. And so that means that everything that you do is kind of like, it's a business move. But when you're in business, guess what? Diversity, equity, and inclusion is top tier, because that means that you can not only service people and like get customers from all different backgrounds so that means more income but that means that your employees they feel valued and they feel welcome so it also starts with leadership i think that's the biggest thing yeah i i I chuckled when you mentioned your your arguments with your sister because quite frankly we learn so much through that it's probably the people that you trust the most are the ones that you're willing to push the furthest and these are, like you said, challenging conversations. It's it's putting out there, A, at times our own ignorance, B, our lack of perspective, and C, the ability to be vulnerable to share our own experience. And so, I mean, you got three different working pieces. You got 10 different dip- people with different processes on different paths of that experience, all working together in the same room at times. And it's like, okay, so how do we get there? And and it is sometimes having that hard conversation and pushing the limits, understanding how to get there. Um, Kelly, you've been you've been in the field and you've trained people on some of these leadership skills. I mean, is there something that that needs to be done industry wide from the beginning on teaching people how to have conversations? I mean, we're going into homes with families and you can't avoid challenging conversations because you have to be able to have them in the appropriate ways. Are there trainings that that need to be done or need to be highlighted industry-wide to be able to empower leadership skills to be able to get over some of these hurdles? I think there's been kind of a, a move recently more toward those soft skills and always bringing empathy and humility to any conversation that you have. Um, actually, actually listening um, to what people are saying um, and and doing your best to understand any any subtext that's there, understand any cultural differences in communication. Um, it, yeah, I think it just generally comes down to to the humility and um, and empathy, understanding that different people have a different story than you do and um, and, and keeping that at the forefront of your mind, understanding that that you're that you have you have a specialized toolbox, um, and it's it does amazing things. But that toolbox is not going. You bring your own biases with that, um, and understanding that the toolbox that you're using is is not going to work for everybody. And maybe you need to think outside of that toolbox um, and and get creative and. Um, obviously within within your scope but but understanding that 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 you don't have you don't have the answers you're you're doing you're doing the best you can just like anybody else is yeah I, and i i totally appreciate the fact that everybody is if if you're putting forth the effort if you're listening 
if you are trying to be able to understand is that inherently we're all going to make errors too is that and we talked about this being a fluid process is that people are going to make errors through that process and i think forgiveness is part of that as well as understanding hey you know what you made a mistake let me educate you on that mistake and you probably have to do that a lot with with the patients with the families but also with colleagues and with management is that understanding hey you know what this is a process everybody has to learn through this process we're all doing it together but that's part of a fluid process we're going to make errors we're going to correct those errors by listening to the experiences of others but i appreciate the fact that you all came on today to be able to talk with us i i always i always feel like part of the the luckiness of my job is that i never stop learning is that every single person I talk to brings something to me where it's like, huh, you know what, this is this is probably important for me, not just to internalize for my position, but internalize in my life. And this one hits home because it's, it's one of those things that, I mean, oftentimes you're sheltered by what's around you. And if you're not listening to all the voices and all the impacts and everything or hearing all the experiences is that oftentimes you miss something, you have blind spots. And I think that this is a very important conversation to have. And I'd love to give you you both just the floor once um, just to kind of, you know, put out there what it is that you're hoping or where you hope that everybody kind of takes their next step in this process, just just to kind of give us something to walk away with. And maybe I'll start with Kelly and then uh, Sarah, if you don't mind following up. Um, I think it's I think it's internalizing and, and putting I mean, our ethics have, have recently, the board ethics has recently been revised, um, and it has included more of, of the diversity, equity, inclusion. This should be at, at the forefront of our minds in all of our decision-making processes. Um, we should be thinking about, okay, what, what are the circumstances of, of the families, of the staff that we're, that we're working with, um, and how, how, how can we bring them to the table? How can we how can we invite them to the table? Um, ensure that they are part of the decision making processes, um, and ensure that people are feeling represented um, at at all levels. So, Sierra, I, I do want I do want to give you the opportunity just to kind of share is that how how to empower people or where people should go to make sure that they're a part of this process. Um, I think. That starts with asking questions, right? Because this podcast isn't only for our company. It's, you know, for people that are in ABA and outside of ABA. So I think that I want to, first thing I would encourage people to do is understand what it is that you're asking for, and then make sure that you can speak the language that you need to ask for it in. So, you know, there's a saying, you catch more bees with honey than you do um, anything else. And so with that being said, I think that that goes back to, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. But also with that, I want to say, encourage others, the people that are making those decisions, make room to bend. You know what I mean? Like, because the decisions that you make are impactful. And that means that you need to be considerate of all of the people that you're impacting and all of the people that you're going to be helping. And so when there are voices of concern that come to you, don't put it off and write it off as something that is, um, I'm not sure of the right word to use, but something that just kind of gives you shrug of the shoulders. Don't do that because you're in that room for a reason and you're making those decisions for a reason. This is why I encourage any company to have DEI as a part of every decision-making process that 
they hold and that consultation as a way of leverage so that you can make sure that all of the people that are a part of your company or all of the people that are a part of anything that you're building um, are properly represented represented and um, listened to so that their voice is valued. Well, I, I definitely appreciate both of your participation, Kelly and Sierra, in the DEI community at ABS Kids, um, because I think that it's important to, to challenge us as an organization to become better. And better is better. It's going to be steps on the process, mm-hmm. but it's, it's constantly challenging to be able to push that ceiling higher and higher to be able to say, let's make some move, because as an organization, we can then push the industry. And then... It, it just trickles down and it, it trickles down to care as well and which is what we're all here for is the appropriate care for children and all of this it kind of leads together so thank you all so much for joining um and i hope to be able to get you all back in again because i, I do want to know as this process continues where we've gone with it is that this is the first step is being able to make sure that we're collecting all this information, we're creating some priorities. But the next step would be where have we gone and where do we need to continue to focus? So thank you all again. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting ABS Kids. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.